Hello, and welcome to Glory V, interesting people and how they pray. Each week, we chat with interesting people about their lives, their work, and how they pray. I'm Sharon Hanish. And I'm Mike Malcolm. Our guest this week is my friend, Ernest Neal. Ernest Neal grew up in south-central Oklahoma. Eventually, he got a, a music degrees from Texas and Oklahoma to you and found his way to Christ the King in Tulsa and is currently the organist and choir master at Holy Family Cathedral in Tulsa. That's where Ernest and I really got to know each other. We knew each other vaguely when you were at Christ the King, mm-hmm. but we had a lot of adventures at Holy Family. <laughs> so some um, were, were pretty entertaining, I think. So yeah, definitely. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So what made you, um, what led you to the cathedral? What led me to the cathedral? In your life, you decided, did you wake up one morning and say, I want to be a cathedral oh, organist? Well, actually, all, yes. All the way through my studies, I I'd wanted to be mm-hmm. at a cathedral mm-hmm. um, because the music, um, you know, you can, you can tend to do bigger things at a cathedral. Yeah. Um, you specialized in organ. Mm-hmm. Um, did you grow up playing the piano like yes. uh, when you were a child? Mm-hmm. Or? My dad is a Southern ba- retired Southern Baptist preacher. So as soon as I was capable of getting through a service on a piano, I was playing for his services. Is that right? Yeah. And so then from- I went to, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I graduated from high school and went to college on a piano scholarship and while in college discovered the organ. And switched majors to the organ. Um, and my life has been on a very, very uh, defined, obvious path ever since then. What is the difference between like a piano and an organ in terms of, I mean, I watch on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, the feet mm-hmm. and the, you know, what, what. That's probably the biggest difference. A pianist doesn't play notes with their feet. An organist, those pedals down there make pitches, make sounds. And so you have to play uh, with your feet, um, Most sometimes mostly bass lines, but oft- sometimes melodies are played on the pedals. So that's the big difference. That's what scares piano players. Yes. Uh, <laughs> how, I, yes. how long did it take to get comfortable with that? Um, well, not very long. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave a recital after one semester of organ music or organ oh, nice. lessons. So yeah. it didn't take me very long. So usually, you know, if you're playing a chord up above mm-hmm. with your, your fingers, you know, you're thinking, okay, there's a D mm-hmm. in this chord. So I need to find a D down below. Is it, it just depends on how the music on is, what it is. Yeah. I mean, if it's Palestrina or something, you get those mm-hmm. wandering lines. Mm-hmm. So you've got to really mm-hmm. use your brain. Yes. That is amazing. <laughs> it, there are some brain twisters. Yeah, that's for sure. So do you peak? Do you look down at your feet definitely, or do you look at... I definitely yeah. peek. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When you first start organ lessons, they don't want you to peek too much. Mm-hmm. And so there are techniques that you learn, uh, how you learn intervals on the pedals to play with your feet without looking. But after the, after a while, the music gets so complicated that you, you do have to peek. Yeah. I mean, even concert organists, you'll see them take a look down right. there. Right. So you were peek. mentioning cathedral. You... I, I didn't know this. Do, do cathedrals only have organs? Like, they don't also have a piano? No, cathedrals have piano. Some some cathedrals have pianos, too. Holy Family has a piano, a okay. nice Steinway 
So you play both on a given Sunday? No, um, I I play just the organ. The or the piano is used on at our Sunday five o'clock mass, which is a little more casual musically. Okay. Um, so the piano is used at that mass. Well, Mike, we were talking ahead of time. Uh, I know you all have some kind of funny stories, uh, having both worked at Cathedral. And, you know, I think of the organist as, you know, you're there for all the high Easter, mm-hmm. Christmas, you know. I, I'm I'm interested to hear about those. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I have a good organ story. Okay. So during the renovation of the Cathedral back in 06, 7, 8, 9, some, somewhere in there, they were doing work up above the arches, and mm-hmm. little pieces of plaster would drop into those organ pipes that are aimed up, and they'd spin down and stick a valve mm-hmm. open. And so during Mass, you'd get, you know, this C-sharp you know, all the way through <laughs> because a valve would open. You know, unwittingly, you know, you play a note, it opens the valve, the little piece of dirt or debris gets stuck mm-hmm. inside the the valve and then it stuck open for the rest of mass and that's called a cipher a cipher yes. yeah and so i there were some choir members i remember who were quite adept at going up into the pipes finding the offensive one popping it out <laughs> blowing out the the pipe and then sticking it back in <laughs> oh wow i'm sure that's not like uh american guild of organists no that is not that is not a uh, <laughs> uh, uh uh what am i trying to say that is not a uh, a procedure that would be <laughs> this is not certified. That uh, is not a certified procedure <laughs> no, for clearing ciphers, but yeah, but that is quite an amazing organ. Yes, it know? is. The cathedral organ is fifty-five ranks, and there are anywhere between sixty-one and seventy-two notes in a rank of okay. pipes. So we will just say whatever sixty-one times fifty-five is. Yeah. So three thousand something. Yeah, that's a pipes. lot. Yeah, yeah, and that's a relatively small organ. Uh-huh. But because of the way it's voiced and because of our acoustics in the cathedral, it does not sound small by any means. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's it's great. It fills it. Yeah, I love it. It's and like really fun. So right? many, uh, so much variety mm-hmm. too. It so does have a lot of variety for the size of it. Any means. mood. The the trumpets are are wonderful, mm-hmm. and it's it's just everything. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a great organ. It's a lot of fun to play. Yeah. So yeah, some of the the fun stories that Ernest and I have seen. Like I remember. What must have been your very first Easter vigil. And okay. Easter vigils at Holy Family Cathedral are famous across the country for being some of the longest masses that take place in a year in the country. Um, I, I think one was four hours and 27 minutes. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, it was, it was just amazing uh, long, you know, and rich, beautiful liturgy. You know, we do all the, did all the readings, all that stuff. But at the very beginning... Um, if you've never been to an Easter vigil before, it starts outside usually. There's a fire that's built, and it represents the Christ's return, You know, kind of that first flickering light of the sun as it rises on Easter Sunday. And there's a lot of uh, microphones are on, so the bishop and some of his um, MCs are speaking into microphones, and you can hear quite clearly in the cathedral everything that they're saying. So <laughs> for the people outside, it's, it's quiet whispers. Yeah, uh, but then inside the church, you know, there's it's loud. It's very loud. Yeah, uh, one of the the legends of Holy Family's choir, Mary Jo Dixon, told me on your very first uh, Easter vigil, she said, "Mike, yeah." Ernest leaned over to me and said, 
you know, is it always like this? <laughs> Hearing all these these whispers and stuff. And Mary Jo said, yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> it is all the time. Mary Jo was a jewel. She um, unfortunately passed away last year. She was a lifelong member of the Cathedral Choir. She had been singing in the choir since she was about seven years old. Mm-hmm. And she died at, I think, age 73. Mm-hmm. So 60-something years yeah. she sang in that choir loft. Yeah, she gave her life to that choir. She did. And in fact, married a choir director. Not yes. you, but <laughs> married previous choir director, Farrell Dixon, Yeah, who was a saint. Yeah. One of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were married for a, not too long. Yeah. But, 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 but plenty. Was, yeah. But he was yeah. a great guy and... And uh, so they were, Mary Jo was a jewel, a very good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So part of your work would be recruiting choir members and getting people to participate mm-hmm. and sing. Do you have different choirs that sing for each mass? Or um, On Saturday nights, there's a cantor, and it's me now. It used to be Mary Jo, but now it's me. Um, at the 10 o'clock in the noon mass on Sunday mornings, the choir, the, whole, the cathedral choir sings for the both masses. Okay, wow. And then at Sunday, 5 o'clock, uh, a cantor and a pianist okay. play and sing. There is no music at the 8 o'clock mass, of okay. course. Okay, so, no, I didn't realize So that. what prep goes into, you know, say, an ordination that, that comes Ooh, up? Months, I mean, that, that's huge. Month, that is huge. Um, months of preparation. Uh, we have an ordination coming up in December, and I've been in contact with the ordinandi mm-hmm. um, since September, probably, mm-hmm. working out details, figure, finding out what they want at certain times during the Mass. And these particular, these two gentlemen have a lot of good ideas about what they want. So that's been kind of nice, because I, it takes a lot of guesswork out for me and mm-hmm. Father John Grant. Um you know, if 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 the stuff that they're choosing is really good and solid, which it is, they've done a great job at planning their ordination. So, yeah, Father John Grant being the, the director of worship for the Diocese yes. of Tulsa. Do you have to um, negotiate between the ordinands if there's a, a number of them? I don't. Oh, I don't do that. Father yeah. Grant does that. Okay. Luckily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he keeps me out of the cross. I'm well, not in the crossfire. Yeah. I mean, typically there's just one mass setting. I guess you could. Mix them up. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The, for the ordinary of the mass, mm-hmm. I tend to not mix and match masses. Yeah. I tend to, but it's perfectly legitimate and is widely done yeah. to mix mix yeah. mass parts. Yeah, I don't normally do that because I like the musical thread that gets wound mm-hmm. woven through uh, a complete mass setting. Yeah, and then how hard is it during an ordination again? Um, you know, to, to take. One guy's favorite hymn. You know, you work that into the processional, then another mm-hmm. gets picked for the communion meditation. That's exactly what we do. Oh, okay. We try to yeah. try to try to uh, appease and and meet everybody's requests. And does it, does it sometimes involve having the choir learn something that they've never done yes. before? Uh, like this this coming ordination, there's going to be a lot of Spanish. Okay, and so yeah. we're working hard on our Spanish. Nice. Okay. Um, it's really. You know, conversational Spanish that we pick up is very, very different from what I can, what I call biblical Spanish. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of words in the Bible mm-hmm. and in Psalms and songs that are not 
what I call conversational Spanish words. You know, like we have we have words that we say in English that we sing in songs that we never say, like consubstantial. Right. You know, right. nobody ever says that. But we say that during mm-hmm. Mass. And in some settings of, you know, if you sing the creed, you sing that yeah. word. Yeah. But uh, that's the interesting part is learning those excuse me uh learning those uh words that are not common to us Mm -hmm. well you know you didn't are you catholic you didn't grow up catholic no i did not grow up catholic i took the long road (laughs) i grew up southern baptist wound up in a very traditional anglican parish in south florida uh, as an employee and that's that raised a lot of questions for me it raised a lot of questions about worship how we worship, why we worship, um, things that we do during worship, and then, of course, the Eucharist. Um, and uh, the more I learned about the Eucharist, the uh, less Protestant I became in my own mind and mm-hmm. in my own heart. So um, I started seeking out uh, Catholicism. Mm-hmm basically because of the Eucharist and the, and the liturgy. That's what led me to Catholicism, really, was liturgy and music, and then learning about the Eucharist made me want to become Catholic because of the, because of the strong belief of Christ's true presence in the Eucharist, because of the fundamental belief, yeah. not, not a strong belief, the yeah. fundamental belief sure. that it is Christ's presence in the Eucharist. <clears throat> and in some... Um, some Anglicans believe that others don't. Um, you know, some some believe that it depends on your state of mind as to whether or not it, whether or not transubstantiation actually occurs for you personally. So, if you're not in the right state of mind, it may not happen yeah. for you, which doesn't work for me because <laughs> sometimes I'm not in a very good state of mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. And good I point. so so for me, I need it to be beyond my. Mm-hmm. Beyond me, it doesn't depend on you. Does not depend on yeah. me, and that that has to be. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's raise an interesting point of you know about worship and belief. You find yourself with a choir, mm-hmm. you know, half a football field away from the altar, mm-hmm. and is there a, a spirituality of prayer that goes into a choir? Because you guys aren't, you know, you're you're one step ahead. You're mm-hmm. praying with the mass. But you're also passing out, here's, here's the offertory piece, you know. Um, I try to do all the passing out beforehand. Mm-hmm. I, I, I try to make their folders uh, in such a way where they literally just turn the page, yeah. one page to the next, so that there's not a lot of shuffling and a lot of business going on so that they can pray as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, while they're singing, they're praying. But while they're, you know, while there's moments of silence, I try to keep those times sacred so that they can literally pray internally during those yeah. times and not have to be, having to be distracted by right. something like, oh, turn to this page next, or right. here's the next thing. Mm-hmm. I try to work it so that that doesn't happen. Yeah, A little of that goes on, especially if we get thrown a curveball somehow liturgically, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we have to, you know, grab a hymn, a hymn book and flip through it real right. quick and get, get somewhere. Yeah. Do you have a favorite liturgy, like, that you enjoy playing? Midnight Mass is my favorite. Christmas Midnight Mass is my favorite liturgy. Why is that? I don't, I, it's hard to say. It's, 
in the middle of the night and it's so quiet and and I think it's more of the feeling that I'm left with actually when I'm on my way home after yeah. mass the peacefulness and the quietness of the the city and and the peacefulness and quietness that I feel inside myself it makes that mass my favorite well, and it makes a lot of people, it's their favorite, because, yeah. I mean, the cathedral is full, it's full. every midnight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing to see downtown Tulsa alive right, right around there. the cathedral. <laughs> yeah. yep. And light blazing out of those mm-hmm. windows from all those people there. Yeah, you know, midnight we, mass is a beautiful liturgy. I know. We have small, well, we don't have small children anymore, but we did have children that were small, so we could never go. But I think our plan is to try to, try to do that this year. Great. To try midnight mass, yes. So... You know, our podcast is called Glory Be Interesting People and How They Pray. And, you know, we've kind of talked about, you know, your favorite liturgy and praying. You know, uh, you mentioned when your choir sings, they're praying. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you pray? I personally use the Liturgy of the Hours for my personal prayer. Um, It's it's a book. uh, It's a book called Christian Prayer, which is sort of a condensed a little less complicated version of the Liturgy of the Hours uh, that the priests and deacons and a lot of lay people use the Liturgy of the Hours. But I use, it's sort of a condensed. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, yeah, I've got a couple copies at home. Yeah, and I I really like that. It's a little more condensed. So Um, do you do the morning? I mean, do you do all or just morning and evening? It's set up morning and evening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, usually clerics promise to pray the four volume four. set so there's all the the prayers for the saint of the day and all that kind of stuff and christian prayer sometimes gets around that but mm-hmm. it, it's nice because you just start praying on page 852 and you pray until 870 and you're done yeah and there's not a lot of flipping, flipping. yeah yes, yeah that that gets complicated mm. <laughs> yes oh, i didn't so. realize that that's a I've always wanted to learn, and I kind of know, but, you know, it mm-hmm. is a little confusing. Mm-hmm. It can be. It is, yeah. So, Christian Prayer, that's the name of mm-hmm. the volume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a one book. It's one book. It's not four. Okay. Yeah, now, do you sing it when you pray it? No, I don't. I just read it internally. Okay. And, now, yeah. when you were growing up, like, you grew up Baptist? Mm-hmm. They they don't have liturgy of the hours no. or uh, did your family were they a church going group like did you pray together yes. or you so you grew up with faith yes my dad was a pastor Southern Baptist pastor and so we were very much involved uh, and we prayed a lot together um, Baptists especially Baptists they extemporize prayer there's nothing written down that we would read um. um so, you know, we would say prayers together and they would be extemporized and we would just pray whatever kind of came to your heart and mind in that way. Um, and there was a lot of that. We prayed before meals and prayed before bed and prayed, you know, just about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My parents were very big on that, which is yeah. great. I I love that. Now, what did, did were they okay that you... Became Catholic? They thought, when I went to that Anglican church, that's when they thought I became Catholic. So they kind of got over it. Okay. When, and it wasn't really, you know, yeah. they're, they're like, well, that sounds Catholic. And I said, well, it's, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but they, the, the shock came then. Yeah. Not when, I, not when I went to Christ the King and went through RCI and actually right. became a Catholic. They 
They thought they said, "Well, we thought you already were." Is what they said. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, Have, do they ever come watch you play? Or um, not my my mother has passed away, um, but they because my dad was a pastor, he always had duties on Sundays, and so it was extremely rare that they were able to come. I think they maybe heard me play one church service. Okay, when I was in graduate school, but. When I was in graduate school at TU, I was playing. I was the organist at College Hill Presbyterian. So they've not heard me play a Catholic liturgy. But that little Presbyterian church is fair, somewhat liturgical in its approach. Mm. They have lots of responsive readings and things like that. So, so, but unfortunately, no, they've not heard much. What did of they I've, think about you being an organist? Um, at first, they said, you know. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't think that that was a viable option right, for a living. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. And so they said, "Well, what are you going to fall back on?" And I said, "Well, hopefully there won't be any falling yeah. back." So I just pursued my dream, and um, and by the grace of God, things came all together for me. Yes. Well, there's wonderful. a shortage of organists right now, isn't there? It's getting better. Yeah. Um, what's happening is sort of a polarization in academia. It, there was a time, like in the mid-20th century, every small university had an organ program and an organ because it was widespread. Um, then in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it all started to shrink. Um, and then in the 90s, a lot of those, by, by the 90s, a lot of those small universities had done away with their organ programs and their instruments. Um and so what's happened now, if you want to study organ, you probably will wind up at a larger school. Like, for instance, University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, has a magnificent organ program. Uh, Southern Methodist University in Texas. Um, KU in Lawrence, yeah. Kansas, has a fantastic organ program. Um, did they just, did OU have one and then they OU still, I think, has one. They had an organ building and maintenance program. Oh. And I think, I, I'm, I, might be, I may be misspeaking here, but I think the funding for that program was cut. I think they still have an organ degree there. Okay. But the, the uh, uh, American Organ Institute that they had going, I think, is no more. Okay. Unfortunately, because well, that was a really good program. That's I remember seeing something about that a few years ago. That's yeah. too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. But but uh, there are still still a lot of people studying organ, and and more now yeah. are starting to study it again. What would you do with a degree in organ if you didn't play for a church? Probably teach. Oh right, of yeah, course. Probably probably academia. You know, get, get that going. Probably yeah. get a, a doctorate degree and uh, teach in a university. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're, are, we're in the kind of part of our podcast where we're talking about prayer. So I digressed asking you about <laughs> all okay. this technique. It's very interesting to me to hear about playing the organ and what people do and and uh, that you are. I have a son who's interested in music, you know, mm-hmm. and so I'm kind of like you were describing your parents. Well, like if that doesn't work out, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I love that you followed your dream, you know, mm-hmm. God's prompting. So, 
Um, one question that we like to ask our guests is, has there ever been a time in your life when it's been difficult to pray? Yes. Many times, actually. Um, um, probably it was very difficult uh, when my mom passed away. That was a difficult uh, that was a difficult time for me spiritually. Um, but, you know, even though I got angry and ignored God for a while, he didn't get angry and ignore me back. Yeah. Uh, thank God for that. He's always there waiting for us to come back to him and, and is open-armed and uh, will even, we'll even reach out and lead us back to him if we wait and look for that. If we look for that, if we look for his outstretched arms and and hand, he will find it. Uh, but yeah, when I when my mom died, I had a pretty difficult time. Uh, luckily, it didn't last too long. But yeah, that's a that's a common theme we hear mm-hmm. from some of our guests. Yeah, I'm you sure. Know, that, yeah, yeah, especially during COVID and mm-hmm. and all of that. You know, it's a. Uh, I love what you what you mentioned because. If we keep at it, and even when we're not looking, mm-hmm. God's searching for us. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a comforting. It is comforting, and just to know that He's always there, and the Eucharist is always there. It's just a matter of us, you know, taking that one step mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. So the classic uh, conclusion of our podcast is the the one question we ask everybody: okay. If you could ask the entire world to join you in a single prayer intention. What would that prayer intention be? I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I would say that my my prayer intention would be that we could all learn to really and truly love each other on a profound level because um, love, to me, the opposite of love is not hate but fear. And to me, fear produces and feeds hate. And so the only way to negate that and to do away with that would just be to be able to love each other beyond, you know, profound, deep love and respect for each other would do away with fear, which would in turn do away with hate. And I think, uh, you know, to quote a song, what the world needs now is love, sweet yeah. love. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's not a liturgical song. But, but <laughs> we won't hear that at the ordination. We won't hear that at the ordination. Right. Yeah. But that would be my prayer yeah. for the whole world, yeah. is that we could learn to love each other better. Yeah, to really do it. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, would you lead us in a glory be? Sure. We'll close out the podcast with that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As, As it, it was, was in, in the beginning, beginning is now, now and, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Glory Be is a production of the Office of Communications at the Church of St. Mary. I'm Mike Malcolm, your producer. See you next week. <laughs>